Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Finding water on a ridgetop, as in where's a good place to drill and how deep will it be before there's good water, is the topic of this edition of Radio Curious. Our guest is Rob Schroeder, a water well driller based in Ukiah, California, and employed by Weeks Drilling of Sebastopol, California. Rob Schroeder says he's also an amateur dowser. That's a person who tries to locate a good spot from which to drill water by using a divining rod, which is a bent metal rod or a forked branch from a tree. Rob and I walked in the redwood forest on a ridgetop about halfway between Ukiah, California and the coastal village of Mendocino. A distance apart is the crow flies of about 35 miles. In addition to the divining rod, he looked for certain trees and other signs indicating that a vein of water could be near just below the surface of the earth. You'll sometimes hear the crunch of leaves in the background as we walked among the trees on November 10th, 2013. Our conversation began with Rob Schroeder's description of the divining rod that he used, how he used it, and a guess as to why it works. These here, these particular rods are called a wire rod. The most common rod that people see are the old baling wire, you know, coat hangers, welding rods bent into the L shape. And people walk along, and when they crisscross, you know, they're they're indicating that they're, they're getting a hit for whatever. And uh, that's those are fr- pretty much the easiest ones to use, and most people can use them that would try them the first time out, and they get, oh, yeah, these work. But these wire rods are kind of a throwback like the old willow switches, except a lot of people hold the old willow switches palms down like this, whereas you hold these ones palms up. And then there's just this little thing you go through. It's it, It's, I don't know... It's more of a chant to kind of just clear your head of all the busyness so you can just not focus on anything and douse. And and what it is is you ask the rod, you go, can I? May I? Should I? And the last question you ask is, am I ready? And it, when you ask these questions, the rod should respond with yeses the whole way. I mean, it's a yes or no. The rod down is a, is a yes, up is a no. So you're holding the rods uh, parallel to the ground. And you ask, uh, "Can I?" Yeah. And you're holding the. You're not changing the uh, strength with which you're holding the rods. You just hold them and ask. Yeah. Well, sometimes I actually hold them tighter as they try and turn down, trying to stop them. But I'm not now. I'm just relaxed. I'm just asking, "Can I?" And then I'll go. And then I I let them back up. And I'll go, "May I?" And then I'll let them back up. And I'll go, "Should I?" And then I'll let them back up. But yeah, they just. It's it's they just pull. So you say it's kind of a chant. Yeah, you know I, that's kind of what I equated to. You know, a better one would probably be Ohm, but you know, I think that's a lot more cleansing <laughs> myself. But I, I think that's basically what it is. It's a ritual, you know, to kind of. And as you become, the more and more familiar you become, the more kind of automatic it becomes, to where you're just letting go of. Uh, Wondering about how your team's going to deal in the game today and how your kid's doing in school. you got to get all that out of your head. And then you're, all right, I'm looking for water for Barry Vogel. So what does the movement of the rod have to do with the questions? 
I think it's just a way for your subconscious mind to speak to your conscience. My, that's my personal theory on it. After everything I've seen and done and been around and all the different ways I've heard it expressed, I think it's nothing more than for a way for yourself to talk to yourself because I think you already know the water's at, where it's at. I think you already know a lot of things that we just have outlearned ourselves from knowing, you know, through education and life. How would you characterize your ability as a dowser? Uh, it's just a hobby, something I do for fun. I mean... I think at the end, you know, we, we are actually discouraged by the uppers in my company of doing it at all because of, you know, occasionally people will say, well, they, they, they picked that spot and, it, and there's no water, so it's your fault, you know, kind of thing. It's like, so they don't really even like you to do it. I, I do it because it's, it's like this one guy I do a lot of wells for. He, he develops property all over Mendocino County and points beyond. And he, he told me when he goes, I don't believe a thing about it with that dowsing rod. He goes, he goes, but I'll never drill a well without dowsing first. <laughs> it's just like it just doesn't feel like you've done all your due diligence if you haven't done it. I rely more on geology than anything. I like to identify a place, and I pull out the rods and play with them. What's your background in learning to be a well driller? I started out on oil rigs when I was about 18, and then in my mid-20s, I came to work here with this company. With weeks drilling? Yeah, out of Sebastopol. And... I've worked underneath, you know, old experienced drillers all the way into the mid-90s, you know, from the mid, mid to late 80s, and, and then uh, until I, the opportunity came up for me to get a rig, and then I've run a rig for them. And then, like I said, for up until they closed the shop up here in Ukiah, I was managing it, just managing it for a few years. Then, you know, the economy turned to where it did, where I had to ma- do the sales and the drilling. And it just we just couldn't keep the doors open up here for now. We probably, they'll take another shot somewhere down the road. When How long have you worked for weeks drilling? Since 1987 or 88. I took three years off in the 90s, but I came right back. So your experience in identifying where to drill is on-the-job training? Yeah. Yeah, mostly. You get comfortable with spots that you go, okay, I, I've drilled there a lot on, on the same type of a hill line, on the same type of a pasture, whatever, and I, and I found a lot of water here before. So, you, you know, part of it's just going, okay, that's that's a place I like because it, it, it's familiar. The other part is just learning your hills. I mean, there's up by uh, Pertolia, every other range is dry. So if you're on this range, you got water. If you're on that range, you don't. You know. So so if you if you know that about the area, you go. Well, there's no sense in drilling on that range. You know, we, we, you go here or here you know, because otherwise you're not going to get water in between. There's just stuff. You know, you learn from being around. I uh, one time went all the way over to Vacaville to drill for a guy who was a week's loyalist. You know, wouldn't have anybody else drill for him. And I drilled out in the middle of this meadow. I was in solid pure clay down to about 16 feet and then went straight into garbage shale which never bears any water and once i'd finished the drilling to 100 foot i hadn't seen anything i was like okay i've never drilled here before we came a long way this guy paid a lot of money just to get us here i'm gonna go ahead and bail the hole even though i know there's nothing in there started bailing on it. the thing was making 60 gallons a minute and i actually called up the, this one uh, geologist hydrologist i know i go dewey I, have you ever seen clay produced large amounts of water he goes oh only in this one area by vacaville <laughs> that's where i'm at you know i didn't know the area but somebody who did knew it was common so part of that's just learning your area a large part of it so, so this is the center of the ridge i just knowing 
there, there's probably a vein running right down through here that'll that'll be indicated. So I want to step off the side right here. All right, and I want to know which way this is flowing. It's going through this way. How would you know where the veins are without using the dowsing rod? I don't know if you would. I couldn't. I'm, but I imagine there's somebody who can. I know uh, there's a dowser in the Sonoma County area, and, and he's very accomplished. Uh, he's a second or third generation dowser, and he can walk along with his hand and claim to feel it. And then you go along and you find water where he said, okay, it's here. So, who knows? Who knows? It, it, like I said, it's a mystery. It, there's no scientific proof whatsoever. It's very easy to boohoo. One of my competitors up here, and they're absolutely wonderful people. They do great work, and they, they, they've got, you know, they're good guys. They don't, they don't believe in dowsing for a second. If you show them a spot that's been doused, they won't drill there sometimes just because they're so dug in against it. So there's another driller who boohoos it out the door. You know, and, and and they're successful. You know, they do well. What indications do you have that are uh, telling you that this is on the vein line? Nobody knows. Me personally, my personal feeling is that the human brain gets hit with something like 650,000 pieces of information a second in our sensory system. Consciously, our eyes process around 64,000 pieces of information a second. Our conscious brain processes about 1,500 pieces of that information a second. I think subconsciously, out of the other half a million pieces of information that we don't consciously process, I think subconsciously we're aware of at least a finger of that. And I think somewhere within that, we know there's water here. Just like we know there's other things going on. I think that we're subconsciously aware of a lot of stuff that we aren't consciously aware of. It's just my own... This is my theory. It's not... Nobody... Whatever. So anyways, I think that the rods are nothing more than like a simple yes or no. Because all my only questions I ask are yes or no questions. When it pulls, it's a yes. If it doesn't pull, it's a no. Now when I came up and I wanted to know which direction is this flowing, is it flowing that way? Yes. Now if I want to ask how wide is this vein, it's right to here. Yes. So the main part of this fracturing, in my my opinion, how wide is this vein? So you're about, saying there's about a, a seven-eight foot wide vein of water. Vein of water where the main bulk of it is, and then I then I want to where is center? Center's right here. So now I want to ask: Is there ten gallons a minute here? Yes. Is there is there twenty gallons a minute here? Yes. Is there thirty gallons a minute here? Yes. Is there forty gallons a minute here? Yes. Is there fifty gallons a minute here? Is there fifty gallons a minute here? Let's try it a little bit. Is there forty-five? Is there 46? Is there 47? Is there 47 gallons a minute? No. So I believe there's 46 gallons a minute here. Now, as far as depths go, I don't do them. Um, I've never been able to do them properly. Ben, though, he would come out here. He would bring his own stick with him. <laughs> but he would find a stick that was green and of a certain length. And then he would stand over this and he would start bouncing that stick counting in 10 foot increments and all of a sudden he'd be going at 10 20 30 40 and all of a sudden you say 40 it starts going around he'd go okay first water's at 40 feet and he'd go well where's last water 50 60 70 80 and all of a sudden 160 say so he'd say your your water table you know the water you'll be able to get for this well will be between 40 and 140 or whatever 
And, and how any of that works, I don't know. Well, you're also um, using uh, English as an example. Yeah. And that's because you and Ben speak, speak English. English. Yeah. And you're using feet. Instead as, of meters. Instead of meters. Yeah. Or exactly. yards. Yeah. It's what we're familiar with, consciously familiar. It, it, but that's... So you're connecting the conscious in the in the spoken word and in the volume to the subconscious. Right. And like I said, this is just my theory. Other guys will tell you, you know, you're finding the eons, and that's what's been in the rods. And I mean, if you look at the rods, you could, you could, I can hold them, Tom White, in the knuckles, and you can physically watch that steel be like this. It's, it's amazing. Well, when we do, when we are in a place to do that, uh, I'd like to see. Uh, stand aside. I'm just going to look for the center of this vein again. You know, as long as we're on this vein, we'll be fine. You'll, you'll have plenty of usable water. I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in it. When you say plenty. Um, back when we were doing water rationing in Ukiah, my family of four, unlimited car washes, which, and dish, dishes and clothing, bathing and all that stuff, but no outside watering. We used 3,500 gallons of water a month. If you had a three-gallon-a-minute well, it would produce that much water. It would produce 4,200 gallons every 24 hours. At three gallons a minute. 4,200 gallons day, in one every day. 24 hours. Yeah. So to put it in perspective, a gallon of water a minute is actually quite a bit of water if you run it to storage. Now, if you don't and you want to go on demand, I personally wouldn't want to be in an on-demand situation for less than six gallons, eight gallons a minute. You know, if, if I didn't have storage, if I was just running, I'd, I'd want at least a six to eight gallon a minute flow. Um, your average home in, in town, you know, town of Ukiah, hose bib produces between 16 and 20 gallons a minute when you turn it on full blast. So, I mean, if you want that kind of volume, you, you're thinking you want to have at least a 20 gallon a minute well on, on demand. If you want to have full city pressure water all the time, whenever you turn it on, what homeowner is going to use 28,000 gallons of water a day? Cause that's what that is a day. You're not, you know, so Finding that balance in the right system for you, you start with, what do I have for my well? Up here, if you hit, even if you hit the, what, I think 40 to 50 gallons a minute down there, say you hit 40 gallons a minute there, you're still going to run a storage tank up here. You're still probably going to put in a solar because we're off grid. So that solar pump from 140 feet, the best you can possibly hope for is about, you know, between 10 and 20 gallons a minute out of there. So say you get a 10 gallon a minute pump in there and you're pumping for eight hours a day. That means every day you're going to have at least 5,000 gallons of water to your storage. Very few people in this county, unless they have a, you know, a full-on farmer's market, something going on like that, ever use that much water a day. It's a lot of water. That's, it is. It really is. So, I mean, you, you, you find out what you got, then you work with it from there. And personally, one of the nicest things about being in the hills around Mendocino County, you put a storage tank up high, you fill it up. And then when the power goes out, because it's always going to go out, <laughs> you still can flush your toilet, brush your teeth, you know, boil a pot of water on your propane. You know, you're still not completely out of water. So that's the nice thing about storage for me. I would always have it if I lived on a hill. I feel good about what's here. How do you determine if it's a water plentiful hill? 
drilling hole. <laughs> well, no, you can you can look for signs. Like like I said, I like certain topographical growths. You know, some people like pepper woods a lot. I'm more I'm more of a madrone guy. I love madrone trees because they just always tend to be over water. I mean, nine times out of ten, they're over water. Um, you look for spring activity on mountains. What does spring activity look like? More commonly, there'll be a lot of you know growth like uh, willows blackberries the water grass which most people in Mendocino County are familiar with will usually be in, in abundance around springs and it would be a wet spot and, and almost always all the local animals are drinking out of a hole somewhere there they know where that water's at they've been here a long time that's when there's surface water if you have a mountain that has a lot of springs coming out of it and it's not completely covered with sail, shale slides then yeah you're gonna you're gonna have a sense that that water is from deeper within the mountain and if you drill into it where its source is at you'll have a well I'm right along the edge of something here, because see, every time I come over here, it starts coming down. So let's, I'm, I just want to get curious. Well, this is Radio Curious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're talking with Rob Schroeder, out in the woods, uh, about halfway between Ukiah and the village of Mendocino, uh, looking for water. And I'm Barry Vogel. What a beautiful draw, huh? So, up here at this peak, that water's probably pretty close. What does close mean in terms of depth? Your average well depth in these hills out here is usually between 140 and 200 feet for a, a you know a usable amount of water, which is a sliding scale everywhere. I mean, in Marine County, people would kill for a gallon a minute in places down there. That's a really water-scarce area. Um, you get certain areas, though, people gallon a minute they oh no let's go try another spot because they know there's more it's in a more of an abundant spot so it's all relative do you think if i were to try using uh, your uh, y yeah. here um i'd be able to sense it just have the pure intention of finding water this I, I, what i think what i'm thinking is i want to find a usable water source here's your right hand palms up grab it like that and get it into search and hold it tight. Okay. Now, think usable water. You're looking for usable water. And just start slowly walking along. It's right back towards me. Well, it's, it's just flipping the wrong direction. It's, it's trying to pull. I should, I, if I'd have known you were going to do this, I would have brought some L-rods, because L-rods are a lot easier for most people to get action out of. Oh, I can feel... Uh, you can feel it pulling, though, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're getting it. <laughs> you can't stop it, can you? <laughs> nope. It's pulling. As you said before. You can get white-knuckled as you want, and they're still going to pull down. <laughs> You are now a dowser. <laughs> yeah, it's moving right down from uh, straight up. Yeah. Piece of twisted wire that is uh, about a foot tall, moving straight down horizontal from, from being vertical to... Uh, I know that I'd rely on my finding it. You're in the center right there. Yep. 
How do you think this would compare with up the hill? Uh, Ask it. What's the question? Is, is this spot as plentiful as the first spot? Is this spot as plentiful as the first spot? There's your answer. Pointing down. That's a yes. <laughs> so the question would be, is this the best spot? Maybe, huh? <laughs> Holding the Y here, mm-hmm. separating it so that the top of the Y is spread farther. Yeah, you want to come out a little bit towards shoulder distance. You start out, yeah. That, that puts it into search, so to speak. What's your question right now? Uh, is this a good spot? We're not getting the same reaction as we were getting before. Want to give it a try? Yeah, it's starting yeah. to go that way. It's curving over the way. This is the spot. Let me ask, is it 5 gallons? 10 gallons a minute? Is it 20 gallons a minute? Is it 30 gallons a minute? Is it 40 gallons a minute? Is it 50 gallons a minute? Is it 45? Yeah, it's still the same. It's over there. Up in here is where you want to drill. Is there a spot on this water with more water on this property? Maybe, but is there one that's more serviceable? This is it. This is, I mean, from from my opinion. And then once you find water, how are you able to measure the um, quantity? The air is lifting it out, and it it doesn't always tell you how much there is, because there's times that just a, like I said, it's 900 cubic foot of air. And when you're airlifting, you're usually down around 50 to 100 pounds of pressure because there's not that much back pressure on it. But but even with that 50 pounds of pressure at 900 cubic feet a minute, sometimes water can't overcome that to get into the hole to get lifted out in the first place. It kind of holds it back, so to speak. But anything that manages to get in the hole while the air is coming by gets blown out with it. And so you, that's one of the nice things out in these hills about using an air rig. As soon as you find the water, you know you found it. It's there. Because it comes out on top. It starts blowing out a hole along with the rock and everything else you're drilling up. Whereas if you're drilling with mud, you don't know. You're just looking at rock and you're going, okay, well, I see some water staining on this little chip. And this this particular piece is a little bit rounded like it's had water on it. You're looking for, you're kind of still doing the Sherlock Holmes thing. You're not really getting information. You're looking at clues. And then it's still unclear. Yeah. Yeah. You never do know. I mean, there's... Well, at some point, you have to decide if you're going to case it. Yeah. That's where, when you're drilling with air, it's nice. The other day, perfect example. We're up in Willits off East Side Road. We're scheduled to go 160 feet. We're down 160. I'd seen decent-looking sandstone the whole way. In the last 15 foot, I saw a color change. But then in the last three feet, I saw fracturing. You know, It wasn't just drilling at a steady pace. You could see it falling through cracks in the rock. The drill bit was advancing with little jumps. And I stopped right there at 160, and we had about seven gallons a minute coming out of the ground. I had just started into it. I knew this, but I was only contracted for 160. So I go, and I get the customer, and I say, hey, you got seven gallons a minute here. And he looks at it, and he goes, well, that doesn't look like a lot. I said, well, it's not for on-demand. And that's what he wanted was an on-demand system. I said, uh, if you want to go deeper, I believe there's some more there. If we look another 40 feet, we may get some more. And he goes, yeah, let's do that. Within five feet, I had 100 gallons a minute. <laughs> By the time I got to 180, 20 feet later, we had close to 400 gallons a minute coming out of the hole in the ground. <laughs> so, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, is that going to work for you? And you're able to measure the difference between five and the increased amount, a couple hundred more. Oh, yeah. yeah. How do you, again, how do you make that measurement? 
you, well, in general, if you you take and you've got the the pile of cuttings around the hole, you got a piece of casing. You stick a piece of eight inch can into into the middle for the first twenty feet. The first twenty foot, I drill an eleven inch round hole because that's where your sanitary seal goes, and they want an oversized hole for the seal material. So then we install a temporary steel casing down to twenty two feet. Then I start drilling from underneath that. As we drill, the cuttings build up around, and you hoe it back and create kind of a little dammed area, so to speak, right at the ground surface. It's all piling up around the hole. Then when the water starts coming out, you've, you've got it channeled off one corner or one spot somewhere in your circle. And you take a piece of pipe and you build a little dam. You put it in there. You let the water rise up to that thing. You let it start coming out the end of the piece of pipe. And then you run it into a five-gallon bucket and you get your stopwatch off. And you click it when it starts filling. And you click it when it's done filling. You go, you're making this many a minute. Now, when it gets up 100, 200, 300, 400 a minute, it's like at 100 gallons a minute or 300 gallons a minute, that's a five-gallon bucket every one second. So you've got a, just a huge amount of water coming through at that point. It's, it's almost impossible to really – you're, you're not going to say it's 403, that's for sure. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's more or less a ballpark at that point. Now, and, and quite often, like I was talking about how air holds water back sometimes, quite often on these lower producers – I'll be blowing on it, and I'll only see two gallons a minute, and the pump guy will go out there, hey, I was pumping six. You know, when they actually just start pulling it in with a pump, it actually increases a lot of times. It's not There's no absolute rule in drilling, though. There's never an absolute. But we could drill here. Yeah, there's a little bit more here. I get up to almost 60. But like I said, once you get over 20, it's all gambling money. You know, take it... <laughs> Have fun with it. <laughs> it's the whole project scamping money. Yeah. You know, for most homeowners and, and most property owners, a well is the biggest craps table they'll ever step up to in their life. Because, you know, they're stepping up and hey, here we go, 10000 on water, let's see it. You know, they roll the dice and they either get it or they don't. At the end of each Radio Curious uh, interview, I like to ask my guests three questions. And uh, the first one is, can you tell us about an aha or a eureka moment that you remember that changed your thinking or your life, the way you live? The, the, the most life-changing thing for me was when I was looking at a picture of the side of the Pentagon before it fell down. And there was nothing but a 16-foot round hole there. And where the 180-foot wingspan and the two six-ton titanium motors would have hit the side of the building, the windows were still intact. That was the most life-changing moment of my life. You were at the Pentagon at the No, point? I was looking at pictures after the 9-11 attacks. And when I'm looking at the side of a building before it's collapsed, you know, it collapsed after the impact. And all I see is a 16-foot hole and where the wings, the tail, and the two six-ton titanium motors would have hit the building, the building was still intact. That was a life-changing moment for me. How did it change your life? I had to, at that moment, realize that I was being lied to by our media and by our government, that they were no longer to be trusted. What would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Raise good kids. Are there um, any books that you could recommend to our listeners? Right now, I'm, re- I'm reading, and I haven't finished it, but I can highly recommend what I've read of it. It's a book by a man named Russell Means. It's called Where White Men Fear to Tread. And it, the man predicted so much that's happening right now back in the 70s. As far as, and, and he said just shortly before he died uh, to America with all of the new and wonderful programs that we're coming up with, uh, he said, welcome to the reservation. And those were pretty prophetic words. 
Rob Schroeder, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. <laughs> Always. My greatest pleasure is helping somebody take a piece of dirt and turn it into their dreams. Because without the water, that's all this land is, is dirt. Rob Schroeder is a water well driller based in Ukiah, California, and works for Weeks Drilling in Sebastopol, California. The book he recommends is Where White Men Fear to Tread, the autobiography of Russell Means, by Russell Means and Marvin Wolf. This program was recorded on November 10th, 2013. Over 400 Radio Curious programs may be found on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free as my gift to you. I hope you enjoy them. The phone is 707-462-6541, and email is curious at radiocurious.org. Christina Onestead is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.